morning. Hope you're doing good. I won't even lie to you. This is the most awkward time of the whole service to me. It's like when the lights come up because I never know what to say. And uh, so good morning. Hope you're good. Um, and uh, we're going to have a message now. So, um, but today we are going to continue in our series called Everyday Christian. And just looking at what does life look like for an everyday Christian? What does that mean practically in our lives? And so um, we're going to be in 1 Peter again today. We were in 1 Peter a couple of weeks ago, jumped out last week. We're going to jump back in this week. And we're going to be in uh, verse 11 and chapter 2 is where we're going to start. So we'll continue this series um, today and really looking at how God calls us to live, not really for our comfort, but for his kingdom, not for our comfort, but for God's kingdom. And we'll see several different ways that God uh, instructs us to do this today through the message. And so let's read verse 11 of chapter two in first Peter together. And then we'll jump into the message. It says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and for your heart for us, your love for us, God, that you are good to us, that you've shown us your love through Jesus. And as we'll read later, God, it is by your stripes that we are healed, God, that we have been made whole through Jesus. And so I pray today, God, that you would work in our hearts to bring us to this wholeness, that you would work in our lives to bring us more into your image. And God, that we would have a, a lens of life, that we see life through that puts the gospel first in all that we do so that others can see who you are, God. We love you and thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. A quick question for you. I wanna see if anybody has ever done this before, but how many of you have ever been to Poland? Anybody ever been to Poland in here? Been to Poland? Yeah, you went with me, didn't you? Yeah, so we went and uh, to Poland. Nobody, nobody ever just looks at their, their calendar for the summer is like, hey, for vacation, why don't we go to Poland? Um, Y'all haven't done that? So, um, no, but I went uh, a couple of years ago with uh, a group of baseball players, and we went on a baseball um, slash mission trip to Poland. And we spent about eight days in Poland. It was an incredible trip, had a great time. Um, lots of cool stories from Poland. Um, love the Polish people. Actually, now that I've been, I wouldn't mind going back again um, and taking a vacation there just because there were so many cool things to see and so many neat towns there. But one of the things that I did not like about Poland, um, and, and I have a friend who may be here right now who's Polish, uh, is the food. The food it just wasn't good. I, just, I mean, there's no, no way around it. It just was not very good. And my Polish friend would tell you that, that, that Polish food is better than American food. Not even close. Not even close. You cannot even begin to compare fried chicken to what we ate over there. It's just not even close. And so I was never so happy in my life to see a McDonald's as I've been in Poland. And thank God they have McDonald's in Poland um, because that's what we began to live off of. Uh, for quite a while. And so we were over there, um, we'd see the golden arches and whether we were hungry or not, we'd just stop and eat a hamburger. And it was like filet mignon between two sesame seed buns. It was incredible. And so we would just eat it and, and be thankful for it and, and, and glad that we didn't have to eat dumplings or something else like that. And so it was good. And, and we had to fly all the way back because it was better than swimming. And so we, we got on a plane in Amsterdam and flew back. And um, on the way home, after eight days in Poland, we were trying to sleep, and as we were trying to doze during the fly, it was during the nighttime, um, we would sit there, and as soon as I started dozing off, I heard, meow, 
It's like, what in the world is that? And then I heard, meow, again, every time I doze off. And so finally I thought, which one of these kids, because we had taken the, some young uh, guys over there to play ball. I was like, which one of these, these kids is on the plane that's doing this noise? And so I got up and started walking around. Well, somebody had brought their cat on the airplane. I don't like cats anyway, especially, you know, at two o'clock in the morning when I'm trying to sleep. But every time I start to doze off, it'd be like, meow. I just wanted to open the door on the plane, throw it out and shut it real quick. That's what I felt like doing. And that part of the story has really nothing to do with why I told you that story, but I just thought I'd throw it in there. Um, and so the, the whole point of telling you that story, though, is this, that I spent about eight days in Poland. And while I was in Poland, I learned a lot about their culture. Uh, I ate their food. I was a part of, of uh, you know, touring around and getting to see a lot of Poland, a really cool place. But it didn't make me Polish. Like, I didn't come back, and it didn't change who I was. I, I was still American. I was still, my culture was American. It, was, it wasn't Polish. It didn't change me in that way. And I feel like that's what Peter is saying to us in this verse verse that we just read where he's talking about us being foreigners and exiles. See, once we're born again, we're born into the kingdom of God. Once we come to Christ, we're made new in the kingdom. And, and in this way, that's, that's who we belong to. That's who we are. And he's saying in your temporary time here in the, in the world, don't let the world conform you to its ways. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind. That's how Paul put it. And so when we look at that, we need to see and understand that he's telling us, don't give in to the ways of the world. He's saying, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. He's saying there's a battle that should be going on inside every Christian because we still have this flesh. We still have these sinful desires. But he's saying, battle against that. Battle against those those uh, temptations, battle against that. And there should be a battle inside of us. If there's not a battle inside of us, then we need to ask ourselves, have I ever come to faith in Christ? Have I been saved? Because once we're saved, the Holy Spirit lives in us. And the Bible tells us that the Spirit wages war against the flesh. And so is there a battle that goes on inside of you that, that is the Spirit of God waging war against the flesh, against those sinful desires? And are we conforming to the patterns of the world? Are we giving in to these sinful desires? desires that are waging war against our soul or are we living for the glory of God it's a question we need to ask ourselves verse 12 he says because this is and this is where it gets to why live such good lives among the pagans or the unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us we need to see this scripture as sort of the the um the theme scripture for what we're going to look at today this scripture tells us what, uh, the reason for what he's about to tell us in the rest of this scripture. And, and as I said before, that this is teaching us that this is about everyday Christianity and the fact that everyday Christianity is not about our comfort, but it's about the kingdom of God. And that's what he's telling us in this is to live our lives in such a way that brings God glory. And we're going to look at some very difficult scriptures today. We're going to look at some difficult situations, but in all of them, what he wants us to see and what he wants us to do through the power of the Holy Spirit is live a life in such a way that the gospel is seen. The good news of Jesus is seen. Jesus is being proclaimed. Jesus is being lived out. People are able to look at our lives and see something different about us because they see the gospel. They see Jesus in us. And so this is what that's talking about is living a life that other people can see the gospel in us. Now listen to verses 13 through 17. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. So why are we submitting ourselves? For the Lord's sake. Why? So that his glory can be seen so that the gospel can go forward. 
to every human authority. So submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For listen, it is God's will. Doesn't get any plainer than that now. It is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. So there was all kind of talk going on about Christians. Remember when this letter was written, Peter was writing to a people who were persecuted, people who were being put down for their faith in Jesus and for proclaiming the gospel. And so when we look at this, remember that that's going on. They were even accusing them because of taking communion. Um, they would say, this is the body of Christ. This is the blood of Christ as we do today. They were being accused of being cannibals. They were of, of eating people's flesh. They were being accused of causing revolts and revolutions, and they were causing a revolution, but it wasn't to take the emperor down. It was to create the kingdom of God, to bring people into the kingdom. And so they were being accused of all these things, and so this is why he's saying, let the, let the good of your life silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. He says in verse 16, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. He's saying, listen, you've been set free from sin, but you've been set free from sin so that you can live for God. You haven't been set free from sin just to do whatever you want to do. You've been set free from sin to live for God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And so when we look at this section of scripture, it, it kind of gives us some difficult, uh, some difficult commands. It gives us some difficult things to do. Especially if you look at the nature of our country right now, and, and whether you're on the right side of the aisle, the left side of the aisle, whichever side of the aisle you're on, many people today are, are filled with fear about where our nation is headed. People are worried about this and worried about that. Peter's saying we need to submit to the authorities. And that sounds difficult. And, and it would be easy for us to reply to Peter and say, well, we're not, not submitting. You don't understand the leaders that we have today. And what they're like, whether they're Republican or Democrat, you don't understand what they're like today. But remember this, in this time, it was either Claudius or Nero who was leading them. These people persecuted Christians. They hated Christians. They were crazy. Nero would later take Christians and use them as, they would burn Christians' bodies on post and use them for like lamps on the streets. Dude was psycho. And so he's, he's saying, look, he's not telling us that the leaders are godly. He's not telling us that they're doing godly things. What he's telling us is that even in this situation, when you are being led by people who may or may not be godly, the reality of it is if we will submit to God and live our lives in such a way um, that we are in submission to him, then the reality of it is people can see the gospel through our lives. And he's saying that's what's important. The reality for us is, is to come to this place where we realize that regardless of who's in office, they're not sovereign. They may be able to make choices and make decisions and do things, but the reality of it is, regardless of who's in place, whether it's Barack Obama or Donald Trump, the reality of it is, people, that God is the one who is sovereign and he can use those people any way he desires. We don't have to live in fear because we have a sovereign God who's sovereign over all. Thank God that that's the truth. Because we need to know that God is sovereign, that he is in control of all things, and that he has this all in his hands. 
It doesn't have to be in ours or in the hands of someone else, but God is the sovereign one in control of all things. And so he's telling us, if you'll take even the difficult circumstances of having ungodly leaders, of having leaders that may or may not be leading you towards the cross, that maybe or maybe aren't doing things the way that God would have them be done, if you'll just submit your life. And listen, we, we, live, we live according to the law until it becomes illegal to do what God tells us to do. Right? We live according to the law until it becomes illegal to do what God tells us to do. And so that's what he's saying. Be a citizen that respects authority, but that you're living out the gospel so that people can see it. Then it goes into the next text. Doesn't get any easier. It says in verse 18, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you should suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. I want to be very clear as we go into this scripture. Peter is not saying that slavery was acceptable. Peter is, and understand this, that the darkest times of our nation was when slavery was acceptable, when slavery was legal, when it was okay for somebody because of the color of their skin to be, or skin to be subjected to someone else. It's the darkest time of our nation, and I'm going to tell some of you today, we need to get beyond the color of skin. We need to get to a place where our hearts have been so transformed by Jesus that we may see white and we may see black and we may see red and we may see yellow and we may see brown, but all of it is in appreciation of the diversity that God created us in and we all still see each other in the image of God. We need to realize, we need to realize that the South's not going to rise again. It ain't happening. Those days are gone and our hearts need to be touched and transformed so that we see each other in the same light as God sees us. And so when we come to this text, he's not saying that slavery was okay. He's not saying that it was all right. He's not saying that everything's good with, with slavery. What he's saying is this, even in such a horrible situation, if you will submit your life to God, the gospel can be seen through your life. He's taking all of these circumstances, whether it's ungodly leaders, whether it's difficulty submitting to authority because of who the leader is, whether it's being in slavery. And what he's doing is he's saying, if you will look at this and you'll come to a place where you, you submit your life to God, even in the darkest situations, the gospel can be seen. And if you live your life with a gospel lens where you realize that the most important thing in the world is for people to see the gospel, then you can understand that, that in the darkest places is where the gospel light shines the brightest. And so he's wanting us to see that even in this situation, even in this circumstance, it's, it's a place where the gospel can still be seen. 
And he's saying to this you were called. And then he gives the example of Christ. Because just as these people were being unjustly kept in slavery, just as these people were being unjustly beaten in many cases, he's saying Jesus did the same thing. He's saying Jesus was unjustly beaten. See, Jesus took our sin upon himself. He bore our sin in his body and he took a beating for our sin. He, he, he took that for us so that we could be forgiven. He took the wrath of God on himself so that we could be forgiven. But there was no sin in Christ that was his own. So the beating and the wrath that he took was ours, but he took it for us. And so that's why Peter could say that it's by his wounds we have been healed. It's by his wounds that we are made whole. It's by the stripes that Jesus took on his back. It's by the beating. It's by the nails. It's by all of that that we are healed, that we're able to be forgiven, that we're able to walk in the freedom of Christ. It's because of that, because of his unjust beating, because of his unjust death, that you and I are able to have life. And so he wants us to see that Jesus was our example in this situation. He says that you've now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I want to tell you today that if you're a Christian and you're a follower of Jesus, it's because the shepherd came looking for you. I want to tell you if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, then I'm telling you the shepherd is looking for you and that's why you're here today. He's wanting to come to you. He's wanting you to know him. He's wanting to reveal himself to you, his heart to you, his love for you. He's wanting to reveal that to you you. And so we have this example of submitting ourselves to human authority. We have this example of slaves submitting themselves to their masters. And if that wasn't hard enough, listen to the first verse of chapter three, wives in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands. Now we're getting into some heated water, right? Some of y'all just elbowed your husband. Like I ain't submitting to you. I don't care what you say. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes and ladies are taking off the earrings and putting them in their pockets. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. Now, I can go ahead and tell you that's not going to fly in my house. I cannot see Susan like, Susan, would you bring me something to drink, honey? And she'd be like, yes, Lord. Not going to happen. I guarantee you it's not going to happen. He says, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Verse seven, husbands in the same way. Notice this, that in verse one of chapter three, it says wives in the same way. In verse seven, it says husbands in the same way. Be considerate as you live your, with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious life, gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So he goes into this next example of husband and wife. And, and I want to be very clear before we start this, because we're going to talk about living in marriages that are imperfect. And if you're married, you're in an imperfect marriage. But I want to be very clear that God is not calling you to live in an abusive relationship. 
God is not calling you to live in a relationship that is physically abusive. He's not calling you to live in a relationship that is verbally abusive. He's not calling you to live in a relationship that's emotionally abusive. In fact, if you are living in one of those, you need to let us know so we can help you get out of it. We have some guys, the baptismal waters are barely dry on them. They're just barely saved. They will help us, right? And so we know, seriously though, you don't, you're not called to live in that. That's not the, the, the relationship that he's talking about. But it does say that in the same way, in what way? In the way he just talked about submitting to authorities, in the way that he was talking about um, submitting to masters. He's saying husbands and wives in the same way, submit yourselves to each other, submit yourselves to God. And here's the reality of this. He's telling us to have respect for each other. Respect being due regard for the feelings, the wishes or the rights of someone else. And here's where we usually get hung up. But remember, we're foreigners and exiles in this world. And so the way we think ought not be in line with the way the world thinks. And so the way we typically think is if you show me respect, then I'll show you respect. But what the Bible teaches us is you show everyone respect and then maybe they'll show you respect in return. And so it's flipped upside down. It's backwards to the way that we normally see things. And so what he's saying is show respect. They may not have respect for your feelings, but show respect for theirs. They may not have respect for your wishes, but show respect for theirs. They may not have respect for, for your rights, but have respect for theirs is basically what he's saying in this. And here's the thing that I would encourage you with because here's the thing that I know is going through some of your heads right now. You don't know what my marriage is like. And you're right, I, I, I don't know what most of your marriages are like. But what I do know is that God does and that God can work and heal any marriage. When two people submit themselves to Jesus, God can heal any marriage. In fact, and people get angry sometimes when I say this, but I say it anyway. I've never seen two people who were married and both people were pursuing Jesus that their marriage didn't work out. But it takes us pursuing Christ. It takes us respecting one another. It takes us coming to a place where we realize that things may not be perfect, but they're never going to be. In fact, if we say, I got three thoughts about that. First of all, if, if your excuse is things aren't perfect, the first thing I would tell you is they're never going to be. You can change partners, you can change spouses, you can change whatever it is that you're going to do, and, and it, it's not going to ever be perfect. Why? Because there's two imperfect people that are in the marriage. I know that's hard for some of you to hear, but you're not perfect. And so I just saw somebody elbow somebody. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> And so the reality of it is that, that we're not perfect. We're not perfect. And, and, and so when we come into marriage, it's not going to be perfect either. And so we need to remember that. Uh, if things aren't perfect, it's a perfect situation to show the love of God to others. It's a perfect situation to show the love of God to others. See, I realize in my marriage that it is much harder for Susan to love me 
than it is for me to love her. There is no doubt about it. I, hands down, would say that with 100% certainty. It is much easier for me to love her than it is for her to love me. I am stubborn. I am moody. I, I mean, I could list a million things and reasons why it would be hard for her to love me. But she does, and it shows me the love of God. It shows me the gospel, and it shows other people around us the gospel too because I know some people have looked at me and gone, I don't know how she puts up with him. But the reality of it is that it shows the gospel love. So it's a perfect situation to show the perfect love of God. The third one is, if things aren't perfect, things weren't perfect between Jesus and his bride either. Think about that. We're the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. Things weren't perfect between he and us either. What if Jesus had stopped because we weren't perfect? What if Jesus didn't lay down his life for us because we aren't perfect? What God calls us to do is lay down our life for an imperfect person. It's exactly what Jesus did. So again, we see that Jesus is our example of this. Peter talks in here about the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit for ladies. Ladies, I wanna be very clear that your beauty is not skin deep. And I want you to hear me in this. I want you to understand that your beauty is not skin deep. Your beauty is not something that is simply based off of your husband's opinion of what beauty is. Your beauty is defined by the gospel. Your beauty is defined by what Jesus says about you, not what someone else says about you. Your beauty is not represented by the scars of your past or who you were or what you've done. Your beauty is not determined by your dress size or your breast size. That's not what determines your beauty. Your beauty is determined by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's determined by the value that Jesus sets on your life. It's not determined by the approval of anyone else. And, and I don't, listen, I don't know if I have, just have a lot of estrogen in my body or what. But I can relate to this. And guys, some of you, some, some of you can too. Because, like, I've struggled with this myself. I've struggled with, with the whole thing of fi finding validation from other people. And the reality of it is that many of you struggle with that. But the good news is that we're not validated by man. We're validated by God. And the value that God puts on our life is seen when we look at the cross, at a bloody cross with an innocent man hanging from it for our sin. That shows us the love of God. And it shows us the beauty, ladies, that you have to God. Men, I want to tell you that there's nothing, there's nothing in the world that shows the spiritual depth and your spiritual maturity like the way you treat your wife. Nothing. You can come to church and put on a good face. You can go to work and act like you're all that. You can have a fish bumper sticker on your car, whatever it is you want to do. But you want to see the test of true spiritual maturity and true spiritual depth, go look at a man's home. Go look at his wife. Does she reflect the love of God because the love of God's being treated or being given to her because of the way she's been treated by her spouse? That's the way we ought to look at it. And see, God's given us a clear command. He's told us very clearly, men, to love our wives as Christ loves the church. So to break that command is sin. And if we sin, it separates us from God. It's why the Bible says that, if, uh, that our prayer life is hindered by our relationship with our spouse if it's not right. 
And so we need to understand the gravity of this and the seriousness of this, seriousness of this. But before we can really respect ourselves or respect others, we need to respect ourselves. Before we can really love others, we've got to love ourselves. But we've got to love ourselves in a godly way, not in this world's way. Remember, we're foreigners and exiles here. We don't love ourselves the way the world loves each themselves. We love ourselves with a godly love. When my dad, who has had all kinds of medical procedures, he is in a motorcycle wreck several years ago, um, had to have his leg amputated later because of that, his left leg. Um, and then later, a few years later, he had a brain bleed or aneurysm and, and he had to go down to Memorial Hospital. Um, they actually flew him down there. And uh, we were in a room waiting on the doctor. Finally, the doctor comes in and he walks in and he's got on his scrubs, but his scrubs are schmediums. You know what I'm talking about? Like they were way too small. Like he outgrew them in the third grade or something. It was... They were way too small. And so he comes in and, and the bed's right here and my dad's there and I'm kind of over here, my mom's over there. And he's standing by the bed and he's like this the whole time. In his medium scrubs, just looking at his arms. He's checking out the horseshoe, you know, trying to check himself out. He's like in love with himself. He was like vanity smurf, you know, and he should have just had a mirror that he was just looking at himself all the time. And so he, he was standing there and he finally, he's like, okay, let me check you out. And so my dad has his left leg is removed. And so he says, lift your right leg. And my dad was covered up to about right here. And so he says, lift your right leg. And so my dad lifted his right leg up and, and the sheets kind of came up, you know, where he lifted his leg up and he goes, okay, well lift your left leg. And you just see the sheets like barely move. And he kind of stood there a second. This is no joke. He's kind of stood there a second. He goes, all right, lift your left leg again. And you just see the sheets barely move a little bit. And he pulls back the sheets. And when he pulls back the sheets, he looks at my dad's left leg and he goes, when did this happen? And we were like, it didn't fall off on the way in. I can tell you that. And so this guy was so into himself, like he hadn't even really checked the medical records. He hadn't looked at anything. And I think that's, guys, sometimes that's how we love ourselves is we're so looking at ourselves. We're so worried about ourselves that we're not really thinking about anybody outside of ourselves. And, and, and we, we get so um, addicted to us, to me, to I. And we've got to come to a place where we love ourselves in the right way. Our sin causes us to not have a healthy love for ourselves. For many of us, it's walking in condemnation because we never feel good enough. We never feel like we do enough. But the Bible tells us that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I know I do this all the time. I, I, I fall into condemnation because I feel like I'm not a good enough husband or not a good enough father. You know, I, I struggle with that. And I have to remind myself that God's not condemning me. God's there to walk with me. He may be convicting me. But that leads to repentance and life. Condemnation leads to death. It also causes us to be insecure, insecure about our, in, our significance or feeling insignificant. We feel like maybe our life really doesn't matter that much. Like we don't really amount to much. That's why many of us bury our lives in our work is because we can find significance there. It's why many times affairs happen is because we don't feel we're getting that significance from our spouse. And so someone comes along and begins to make us feel significant. And so we begin to pursue that. And so we oftentimes feel insignificant. I'm telling you that your significance comes from your purpose in God. 
not what the world says you are. The other day we were cleaning out, my mom and dad moved and we were cleaning out um, and we came across this box of trophies that I had from growing up all the way from probably seven years old to, to you know, being a senior in high school. And uh, we went to go throw those trophies out and they, I went by myself and I was like, yeah, we'll just throw them away. I hadn't looked at them in 20 years. We'll just throw them away. And so I get to the dumpster and this is no joke. I'm watching that box of trophies and I'm throwing everything around them away, everything. And then I finally got to that box of trophies and I looked at them and I was like, I worked really hard for these things. And so I ended up sticking them back in the truck and just going and putting them in the, in the new attic because I was like, I'm going to hang on to these things, you know, because they, they meant something to me. But many times those trophies of life, it's unhealthy. We're trying to find things that make us feel significant or make us feel worthy. And the reality of it is our significance is only found in God. Oftentimes our sin causes us to look to other things than God for fulfillment. I would ask you this question and challenge you guys to ask this question. Am I truly pursuing God with my heart? Am I truly pursuing God with my heart? It goes on there in verse eight. It says, finally, all of you, So he's speaking to everyone. He says, finally, all of you be like-minded or have the same attitude as Jesus. And everyone have this attitude, have the same mind as Christ. Be sympathetic or enter into other people's feelings. Love one another. Uh, The Bible says that that they'll know us by our love, that Jesus' disciples will be known because they love each other. It's in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. It says, be compassionate. Or show others mercy. Show others the grace that you've received. And it says, and be humble. So think of others before yourself. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and the ears, his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if, or, if you're eager, eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Basically, that's very wordy. There's a lot of words in there. But the thing that I would tell you is that the gist of that is saying this, bless other people with the blessing you've been given. Give other people what you've been given in Christ. Bless them with the blessing you've received. And if we're gonna do that, I'm gonna close today with four things that we need to do. The first one is we have to sacrifice our rights to the cause of the kingdom. We have to sacrifice our rights to the cause of the kingdom. That's what Jesus did. He emptied himself of his rights. We're called to do the same thing. And here's the thing, I hate injustice. I hate to see an injustice done where it's done to someone else. I really hate it when an injustice is done to me. For example, if I'm sitting at a a red light and the light turns green and the cars in front of me just kind of poke along to get through the red light and then I catch the red light, that's an injustice. I don't like that, not one bit. Or, or if somebody in front of me is, is driving really slow and makes me catch the red light and the light's green and God forbid they stop at the green light, it's an injustice. 
And I realized like how quickly I'm set off by injustice in my life, but we're called to sacrifice our rights to the cause of the kingdom. The second one is that we fear God more than man. Proverbs 29, 25 says that the fear of man is a snare. It entraps us. God calls us to fear him. What can man do to us? If we're gonna live this way and bless others with the blessing that we've been given, we've gotta live our lives in a way that, that, that we're free of fear of man, of what other people think. We respond to God when he prompts us to respond. It's like we always say that we listen to God and do what he says, regardless of what other people may say or think. If we're gonna bless others with the blessings we've been given, we've gotta recognize and seize opportunities to shine the gospel. We've gotta recognize and seize opportunities to shine the gospel. We've gotta see the world through a lens that is gospel focused. The good news of Christ that Jesus died for us so that we could have life. He died for us so that we could be forgiven. And so when we look at this, we can just see that and realize that we can't love this life so much that we forsake God and the gospel and what he was calling us to do. The last one is that we have to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to ask God. He tells us in his word. He promises us in his word that if we ask for the Spirit, he'll give him to us. He will give us the Spirit. It is impossible for us to live this life, a life that, 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 that submits to God in all situations, a life that shines forth the gospel in all situations. Remembering that everyday Christianity is not about our comfort, but it's about God's kingdom. And so when we look at this, we, we need to see that, that in the reality of it is it's impossible to do what God's telling us to do apart from his power, apart from his power and his grace in our lives. Verse 15, this is where we'll close. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Verse 16, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And so when we read this, we realize we've come full circle all the way back to 1 Peter 2, 12 where we talked about the whole purpose of life and the whole purpose of everything was to show God's glory, to be about his kingdom. And so he's telling us again that we need to have an answer prepared for those who ask about the hope that we have, the hope that we have in Christ. And he says, keep a clear conscience. I believe that there's probably two types of people here today. One of those is are people here who need to submit their lives to God so that God can convict them of things that he wants to change. And then that conviction needs to lead to repentance and that repentance will lead to life. Repentance is simply turning from sin and turning to God. God invites us to do that. The second type of person though is the one who's felt conviction and but let conviction turn into condemnation. And some of us here today are drowning in condemnation and God's calling us to live free from that. God's calling us, yes, he will come and he will convict us through the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's so that it leads to repentance and life. Condemnation leads to death. 
And so today I'm asking you, or have you been someone who's withheld your life from God, not willing to submit it to him so that he can convict you of the things that need to be convicted, the things that need to be changed? Or are you someone who right now, you maybe have felt conviction, you maybe have felt um, your own guilty conscience condemning you of the things in your life. See, here's the good news. If you're in Christ, condemnation has no place in your life. Condemnation does not give way to the life of Christ, but repentance does. And so we have the opportunity today to turn from those things that are ungodly and turn to God. It's the opportunity that we have moment by moment, day by day, that God gives us. And so today I wanna pray for us. In fact, I'm gonna ask you today, if you would, if you'd bow your heads and we're gonna pray. I wanna ask you today, if you've never submitted your life to Christ, you never said yes to a relationship with Jesus, but you know today God's calling you to that, then this is what I wanna do today. I wanna ask you if right where you are, if today is a day of salvation for you and you would say yes to Jesus, I wanna ask you right where you are, stick your hand up in the air. And, and hold it up high, amen, right here. Somebody pray with her. Over here. Um, Mr. John, anybody else today that you would say yes to a relationship with Jesus? Just, if you just raise your hand, would you stick it up again so John can find you? Okay, all right, we got one more back here, amen. We just wanna pray with you. All right, well, let's bow our heads. If you'd say today you're in a place where God has spoken to your heart, maybe there's conviction in your heart, or maybe today you're walking in condemnation and need to be set free. But either way, God has spoken to your heart today. And we can pray specifically for you. I'm gonna ask you that you would, you would stick your hand in the air. While everybody's praying, you just raise your hand and we're gonna take this step of faith and say, God, here I am, speak to my heart. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for every hand that's raised. I thank you for salvation. I thank you for grace. I thank you for every person that's sitting here today. And I pray, God, that we would walk, yes, in conviction, that you would shape our hearts and mold us to be more like Jesus. But God, I pray that we would flee from condemnation as we turn from sin and turn to you. We realize that it has no hold on our lives. And so God, would you let us walk in the freedom, freedom to follow you, freedom to do what you would have us to do. Would you strengthen our marriages and give us the ability, God, to to persevere in our marriages and show forth the gospel, the, the love of Christ through our marriages. Would you allow us, God, to be submissive to authorities and to follow authorities? And as long as, God, we're not being disobedient to you, Lord, would you just give us the strength to do that? Would you pour your heart into us so that we can pour it into others in every situation, God? I thank you that this life's not about our comfort, but it is about the kingdom. But God, I thank you in every affliction that you do comfort us through the peace of the Holy Spirit. Would you send him now to encourage us, to give us boldness, to share your word, to share your message, to share your heart as we leave here today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.